Hey, Pete. Hey, Aaron. Don't you dare. Hire a musician. I've been, I've been using songs with, yeah, I've been using songs with the word dare in the title. But for this one, if you're listening and you're like, I write music and you write like good music, so we don't have to have an awkward conversation where we're like, yeah, thank you. Uh, we forgot to upload it every week. Um, <laughs> you send us some tracks. Yeah, well, uh, I would love to pay, uh, pay an artist for artwork, and I would love to pay an artist for tracks. Keep in mind, but we won't. We won't. But. We'd love We'd to. We'd love to do it. We love yeah. to watch. We love to pay artists. We love to, we love to pay our artists. We don't always watch. We don't always pay artists. <laughs> yeah, because we're on episode six. Six in 18 months. There's no stopping this gravy train. Uh, but yeah, this is Don't You Dare, the side podcast where the hosts of We Love to Watch dare each other to experience a, a piece of art that they haven't seen uh, that is not a movie that we would do on We Love to Watch. It can be movies, but not the type we do on We Love to Watch. Music games um comics as we did last week yeah this is the side uh, piece this is a side piece yeah we huddle in a different room to record than we normally do uh we don't use skype we use just our phones uh and all the recording is done on uh a court reporter who mimics all of our voices yeah i added you to my skype contacts as uh my brother's name so that if uh we love to watch ever looks through my phone oh yeah well our podcast has gained sentience <laughs> And it's very jealous. It's very jealous. Uh, this week, I am the dare-er, and I have dared Peter to do an album. So we've we've done two albums now in six episodes, and this will be the third. And I do – I kind of find recommending an, an album, especially what we've kind of done. So I'm recommending or dared him to listen to Third Eye Blind self-titled debut from 1997. And I do think the the music thing is very interesting because Peter and I have very similar tastes, which is why we kind of find this show very fascinating, at least for us to do. And but what one area is that we've kind of, and we have sometimes similar experiences with like ages, even though we're eight years apart, we have similar experiences with ages that we saw movies for the first time or uh, read certain things or saw a TV show. Like there there is some similar areas for there where. Where I think, and this is true of anyone who has as much space and age as, as you and I do, Peter, I think music that you like in junior high and high school is a big divide for us. And it doesn't mean we didn't have similar tastes, but I think when what hits us and what hits us very hard, because music really is like when you're in junior high, high and high school, that's probably the stuff that you're from an art perspective, you're experiencing the most. You, you have so much emotions going on. <laughs> Uh, in your body and you're changing and things are doing different things and you're having your first relationships and your friendships are changing it like music was such a it's still an important part of my life but like now i listen to music a lot less for like i don't know like emotional connection or or something like that where like man back when i was in junior high and high school it was like my life like i feel like you know music understood me and music and all those kind of Things that people say about like what, why your junior high and high school music is so important. And I think Peter and I having a, you know, kind of a dividing age, there was uh, a, a, a dividing age 
there was just different stuff available. Peter, you probably had more access to music than I did and probably cooler music. You had older siblings. I there was there was no Napster even, let alone iTunes. You had to buy albums. Um if you heard a song on the radio like there was one FM station. I didn't have cable. I didn't have older siblings. A lot of my friends like country, which I did not care for uh cuz I, you know, lived in North Dakota. So I feel like that music that we listened to uh, at those ages was very different. Uh, and we, we probably have different embarrassing skeletons in our closet uh, or just just music that like meant a lot to you at 14 and means less to you when you're, you know, 30, 35. So I do find that very interesting as uh, what we've done on this show is being able to talk about like music that meant a lot to us at that age that is essentially – almost completely unknown to the other person, let alone having made some sort of like devastating emotional impact. Yeah. There's a certain age where even sort of shitty, shallow lyrics can really resonate within a a, a teenager's soul, an adolescent soul. Yeah. And that's why occasionally when I listen back to music that I, I loved from the era, I'm like, this was not as profound as I remember it being. Um, that doesn't mean that it's useless or it's bad. It just means that it's speaking to a specific kind of experience and you are seeing the, the contrast between like, okay, uh, this isn't music I need anymore. Uh, but but I needed it then, and, you know, some people might still need it now. Well, and music, I mean, music just... Does it make you lose there's control? So, yeah, it does. But there's so much stylistic copying. So, like, you can hear the first version of something and be amazed by it. It's the first version that you're hearing. But it's something that, like, oh, they're ripping off this. You know, Third Eye Blind is a good example of... I don't think they're ripping off the Pixies in the way, like, Nirvana did. But I hadn't heard that many songs that, like had, like, a very clear change of, like, volume. Like, it starts out very slow and, like, an acoustic guitar, and then it becomes this arena rocker. Like, I didn't really hear you 2 I didn't hear, like, the quiet, loud stuff of Pixies. Like, these these influences that Third Eye Blind was aping. I, I hadn't even heard much of, like, grunge. Like, I was listening to Bush, but not Nirvana yet. When you hear some of that stuff for the first time in music, it can be like, well, this is amazing. And then you hear all the things that it's either ripping off or influenced by, and you're like, this is an inferior version of the good stuff. But it just depends on what you hear first and what kind of blows blows your mind or whatever else. So, so here's why I picked this one. The first two albums we did, I think, were both like we had a connection to and that we enjoyed the music, but it's they were both Scottish, and that in general is embarrassing. I just saw a funny and it tweet was fun today to that laugh said, It's fun to laugh at. I saw a great tweet today that says, Ska is what happens when people said, okay, we've written this song. What would we have to add to it to make it sound worse? <laughs> uh, but this is an album that really was like one of my defining albums an album that just spoke to me in a very weird way and this is so this is going to be very embarrassing for a couple reasons one i'm going to have to describe why a third eye blind album spoke to me as a 14 year old anytime you're talking about like how you felt as a 14 year old is going to be pretty embarrassing so i'm ready for that i think everyone has these examples of albums that they did just listen to over and over and they spoke to and a lot of those are based on like uh, a resonance to real situations. So like I had a long-term girlfriend uh, of a few years in my kind of mid-20s 
and we had a really rough breakup. It was a amicable breakup, but it was like, oh, or I want kids. You don't want kids. You want to live like it just we realized it wasn't going to work. And that was a that was a tough breakup. And so, like, what helped me get through that breakup was uh, Frightened Rabbits Midnight Organ Fight. But that was me listening to lyrics and recognizing some of my own experiences in them and how I was feeling. Like, it was like a lived-in experience that was bouncing back off this album of This Stranger. Why the Third Eye Blind album is more embarrassing, but but real feelings at that age, is I was I hadn't had any relationships. But I almost saw this album as, like, the future soundtrack to my adult love life, if that makes sense. Yeah, like it was resonating with it was resonating with not necessarily experiences you had, but the the hollow space where relationship experience would be. Yeah, exactly. So this was um, because, I mean, obviously I had crushes and I had like people that I like, but I didn't really had a relationship. And I, I didn't like dating, but it was like, oh, what do we do? We go like it wasn't I hadn't quite had like what I would call like my first real relationship and let alone like had a sense of like what an adult relationship was and this album felt very adult to me it's talking about it feels more like uh less songy than the stuff i was listening to at the time which was like every album that like probably played on had a one-hit wonder on fm stations um you know and like tonic and sister hazel and marcy playground because i'd hear a song and i'd buy the album that's how you got the music and there was a few albums, though, that were like, oh, this whole album's really good. And this was one or like Smashing Pumpkins or um, Ben Folds 5, whatever and ever, Amen, that were like, hey, they made like good albums all the way through, which was always exciting because I didn't have that much access to money and I was spending $16 on these things. So that was uh, always just, shocking to me when I wanted to listen to every song where I was like, wait a minute, I didn't have to did run it. across the room and slam on my jukebox. Yeah. And so this this really felt like I was on the precipice of like having more romantic relationships. And this this album felt very adult. It wasn't and it felt less sing song. It felt the the songs felt less like songs. They felt like journal entries from like a lived in experience that I was anticipating I would have at some point. Uh the good and the bad of relationships, but like it was very like sexual in a way that was almost coded that I was old enough to now get and that felt very adult to me. So, like, when I say this felt like the soundtrack to my future breakup, it was like I had a lot of that normal, like, uh, romantic NUE, like, I can't wait to have a girlfriend. And what's a relationship going to be like? And then, hey, in a few years, I'm going to be going off to college. So, like, a lot of these songs, even re-listening, and I I re-listened to it a few times for this, I have, like, pictures in my head listening to them again of, like, 14 (laughs) – of a 14-year-old who was, like, picturing himself – out at night in these kind of weird situations uh, or like with with people drinking and like, is this what my life's going to be like? I, I feel like I don't know if you had this, Peter. I know I'm saying a lot at the onset. I'm interested to hear your thoughts. But like I just had a lot of moments where like when I used to watch Say by the Bell when I was in third grade that I'm like, this is what high school's probably going to be like. And then when I watched Dead Man on Campus in like junior high, like, is this what college is like? And then something that's not Mark Paul Gossler related. Um, this album where it's like this is probably I'm going to have these feelings and these thoughts because I'm going to be out there in this kind of weird college age I don't have parents I'm going to be having these adult relationships where we stay in bed and go down on each other like that's going to be weird 
And so, like, all that romantic ennui and, like, feeling of, like, a loss that hadn't occurred, but because I hadn't experienced it, like, these songs connected to me in that weird way. And to the point that, like, later on in my life when I was in college and I was in, like, situations that were, like, oh, I'm in this big city and I'm going bar hopping with these strangers and now we're at a rooftop party with the lights out – I like would think back and go, this is what I pictured at 14 when I thought what being my in my 20s was going to be like. So so this this album does have a lot of like weird even listening to it again. Like it was like I had a rush of like goosebumps and anxieties that had no place in me anymore. Like I couldn't even like it was kind of ineffable to try to describe it. It was just like, oh, all of these feelings that some of these songs and I do want to emphasize some of these songs. Some of them, even back in junior high, I was not a huge fan of. But especially like um, tracks 10 through 14 really kind of, I don't know. They just were like, this is what adulthood is going to be like. And this is the emotions I'm going to have. And I'm on the precipice of a lot of these emotions. But this is someone describing them in a way that I have yet to experience. So I guess my first question to you is, Peter, do you have an album like that that like is like, this is going to be my adulthood and like having a weird emotional connection to like your imagined future romantic strifes or something? Uh, and then two, what was your initial impressions of the album before we kind of go track by track? Because I'm assuming you've heard Semi-Charm Life, Jumper, and How's It Gonna Be? But I believe the rest was pretty new to you. Um, yeah, I, I never had a specific album like this that I feel like spoke to my vision of the future, what adulthood was going to be. Isn't it funny, though? Like, I feel like as a as a teenager, I thought more of my adult life was going to be fighting with girlfriends and sitting around <laughs> thinking about our feelings and like drinking on drinking with people and being like, yeah, man, what's it all about? Whereas like now a lot of it is like... <sighs> fuck the the baseboards in our bedroom have dirt caked (laughs) on because our dog rubs his fucking body against it so i need to scrub dirt off of our walls before my brother gets to town next week like a lot of adulthood is is scrubbing baseboards a lot more than i ever pictured i i think i i think because of my depression issues in junior high and and, uh, high school i think i like needed to picture my 20s as some sort of delivery period where I would be I'd be uh, hoisted into a new world where all of my my issues would go away and my life was beautiful and shiny and radiant and so I I didn't have an, any albums like this I, I definitely identified with plenty of depressing albums and a lot of like shoegaze music particularly because I was uh-huh. very much a, someone who's into 80s music I feel like the way I tried to picture my future was was a, not necessarily glamorous, but emotionally satisfying almost all the time, uh, apart from a few moments of, of true emotional epiphany, uh, the drinking on rooftops thing that you were talking about and the talking to talking to friends about like what it all means that I was talking about. I think I, I, I had, I figured those moments would be in there cause I was a human and alive, but like as somebody who like wanted to be dead from like 13 to 16, like mm-hmm. I needed to picture the future as, as this like as shy- being, that makes sense. Which is funny because like, if I saw the way that I live now, 
it would be enormously comforting to myself as a 15 year old because like I, I live with I live with my fiance and I have a dog and we have a backyard and like I don't hate my job and I have a nice set of friends and a good good uh, safety net and like all, yeah. all that stuff is like so comforting to me now but like as a as a 13 year old I pictured me like I don't I don't even know it's it's it, so I didn't have an album like this no I had specific songs that I identified with though that's interesting because and I as if you've listened to like our Jesus Camp episode or smattering through our We Love to Watch podcast like I recognize that I lived in a uh, repressive family in a repressive city and I like wasn't quite experiencing life even at fourteen now most fourteen year olds aren't necessarily experiencing the life of Stephen Jenkins in Third Eye Blind songs yet at fourteen. But, like, I kind of knew, even though I was generally happy, I did have, like, what Kyle Kinane calls, like, that weird, like, suburban depression, where it's just, like, I'm on the precipice of something, but I'm just sitting here going to Denny's with my one friend who can drive and going to the movies and, like, I have girls and, like, I kissed one once and I don't, like, you know, you're just in that kind of weird, like, nothing's that dangerous, nothing's that bad, and that is, like, a level of... Not real depression, nothing compared to like the stuff that you went through, but just kind of a like anyway, like okay. yeah, a slow a slow death that you're yeah. you're not sure how you can escape from. But like I knew there was going to be a I knew there was a point where all those restrictions was going to be were going to be taken off of me, and like picturing the life when that was going to happen, like I pictured this, and so as such, I have like a weird connection to a future hypothetical version. Of myself that that connected with these songs in the same way that I connected in real life with uh, the Midnight Organ fight. And Frightened Rabbit was an album that I connected with right in that like sweet spot, that 13 to 16 area. But it wasn't something as as uh, projective as looking at the future. But yeah, I I I, uh, I could see exactly why this. What, why a 14 year old would be like. This is different. Because it's, okay, that. so there's two things going on. One, it's very easy to interpret. So, yeah. It is it is amazing that this <laughs> this uh album even bothers to have a song meanings or a song lyrics page. Because <laughs> yeah. like you can understand pretty much every word the guy says and it, Well, and he's telling a story. They they do feel like pages from journal. Yes, the journal the journal description is is super apt because you can understand They're lived in. Every not only everything he's saying in a in a literal sense like you he's he's not like rapping where sometimes words get lost. He you can understand He's very verbal though. He's very verbal. It's very literal. It feels very like this is how I was feeling at the moment I wrote the song, and then I never went back and added pretension on it, which is charming in its own way. It is also embarrassingly earnest. And yes. as, as somebody who is also embarrassingly earnest, I find that charming. Well, and 14-year-old me, as you can imagine, was embarrassingly earnest times 100. Yes. Uh, so this was like... <laughs> Plus, it, it was different than everything else in that sense that, like... It wasn't like these felt like lived in experiences. It, it didn't feel like I love you. I like you. You hurt me. This was like, hey, remember when we were at that street downtown and you did this to me? Well, that hurt me. And then I went into the hospital because you had over, like it felt very lived in in a way that most of the music that I was exposed to did not. Yeah, it's uh, the, the album's too long. And part of the malaise that goes on as the album goes on is I'm like. 
did you need to fill out a uh, like a, a, a account for minutes or something? Because there, there's a point where I'm like, this could have been a really. I mean, rad- it, it's only it's only like 50 minutes, it which is been not a rad. 35 minute album, though. I agree. Um, oh, there are songs I dislike, and there's some that are filler. So I'm excited to go through track track by track, and there's going to be some that's going to be like, oh, this song sounds just like the last song. You don't need you don't yeah. need either of them. And they do do that thing where it's like. This song has the first, you know, two minutes or the quiet, the, the Pixies thing, the quiet, loud, quiet. It, it almost feels more like U2, yeah. like a build. Yeah. And it, it's, it, it does, there's a couple songs where I'm like, wait, aren't these talking about the same thing? Like, not sure how to break up with a girl? Like, pick which song you like better, buddy. That's why they have, you know, B-side albums. And that's why, they, <laughs> yeah. like, that's all, all that stuff can come later. And then people can be like, Okay, this, I like this B side version better than the A side version. It doesn't matter because you'll be playing the A side version in in a concert for forever. Well, and this album was really weird to me in that, like, I of course bought it because of Semi Charmed Life, a song I still kind of enjoy. Um, it's a good song. I, I will un I will unironically say because as somebody who, like we were saying, is embarrassingly earnest and mostly hates irony, I will say "Semi Charmed Life" is a pretty good song. Uh, and I like I still like like I was listening to it today to get one more listen before we record it, and I turned it up a little more. Like I was by myself in the car, and I'm like, this part rocks. Like I'm gonna, like I felt very much like an old man uh, playing like CCR or something. Yes. Like yeah, no, I want to listen to this louder. Uh, even though I've heard the song many times, I like doing it at karaoke. It's a very fun karaoke song if you know all the lyrics by heart like I do. So, anyway, I think we should go track by track. Do you have any other general things to say? Uh, no, I think that the uh, I think that the album is a mixed bag, as you hinted at. But I think that it, it, there's a lot more good than bad in here, and I was I was pleasantly surprised how much fun I was having with it. I'm very interested to see, hear what songs uh, resonate with you two as we go through this. So uh, let's do it. So starts with losing a whole year. It's a good way to kick off an album. It's it's. Are you also kind of a sucker for those like '90s style guitars? I yeah, I like it. Um, I mean, I grew up with it so much, and like this was like my this was my version of like hard rock or whatever else, like just a little grungy, but like grunge pop or something like that. Um, it still has licks. It still has like yep. a melody to it. It, it, it. There's no way where it all. There's no point where it all breaks down. And he is like Stephen Jenkins is earnest in a couple ways his lyrics are very earnest but i really like his style of like melodic singing with like emotions so raw he screams them out and i like that he's able to do fast singing that's not rap like 
if he was trying to rap in like semi-charmed life or any of these songs where he starts really singing a lot of stuff at once, it would be interminable. Oh, but, yeah. But like, cause it's, it's on the precipice of that, but it's, it is that like, I have so many thoughts. I'm going to just sing really quick and it never sounds like he's attempting to rap. And I like that losing a whole year kind of starts with that beach boys riff before it kind of crashes. You talk about like uh, adult to a 14 year old, like the opening lyric is, I remember you and me used to spend the whole goddamn day in bed. The idea of an album just starting with, hey, I remember we used to do this and we don't anymore. And so matter of fact, like it wasn't shocking from a content standpoint. It was shocking that someone could say that so matter of factly. And and in the first line of the first album. Like obviously I was was 14. Like I knew what sex was. Um, I, I knew what sex was, guys. But like. It wasn't sex at that age for me was still because it was so verboten. It was still like something you had to sneak. Even R-rated movies with sex scenes, it was like, oh, my parents don't walk in. I'm going to get in trouble. Or even just mentioning sex on sex on TV shows. So like there, there's definitely some stuff you would call explicit, but it's not like it's not meant to be like we just said fuck. It is just like, no, I we yeah, I ate her out <laughs> like that's because I was in a relationship and that was something we enjoyed doing together, which was kind of like a weird kind of scandalous for me. Well, also, like, there's there's still like shit like DJ Khaled saying that he doesn't go down on any of his partners. And you're just like, oh, so like this weird masculinity bullshit is still yeah. pervading something that is an incredibly simple and easy to do act. Like, yeah, his relationships had a lot of sex in them based on the stories he's telling, but that's not the point of it. It's not – his songs are not – or were never about like, I want to have sex with you and I'm going to use this cute language so it gets on the radio. It's like – no, like we we went down on each other and did crystal math. Like I how long say, did that relationship last? This is this is the closest that the album ever – the only time in the album I ever felt like I was like, this is kind of a cool band. This is as close as they got because there's songs later in the album like London and I Want You that like are decidedly uncool and they are trying to be like a cool rock band and a cool sexy band. And those I think this semi charm. I think I agree with you. Like, I think the opening half of the album is supposed to be more cool. I think losing a whole year, semi charm life and graduate. If you put those three like in a like little single you go oh this band is pretty cool yeah 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 and then eh, whenever they try too hard to be cool there's this problem where i'm like L- london is a song that i had to skip both times i listened to this album i was like, interesting I, I i can't do this okay uh so anyway so yeah so losing all your good narcolepsy i try to keep awake i try to swim beneath i try I don't even have a track list in front of me. Just FYI. Uh, I, um, <laughs> Do you need it though? Uh, I don't at all. Um, I think Narcolepsy is a cool song. It does it, but it immediately goes to a vulnerable place for the beginning of it, which is kind of cool. 
uh, yeah. for this kind of album, and that is charming. However, I think that this hints at what will be an ongoing problem in the album that I have, and it's mostly on songs that later in the album, uh, that he actually, what's his name, Stephen Jenkins? Yeah. I don't think Stephen Jenkins has very good range, which is fine. A lot of awesome singers don't have good range. Uh, a lot of great actors don't have good range. A lot, uh, like, yeah. I wouldn't ask uh, fucking Emmanuel Lubezki to shoot an MTV music video for uh, Be- uh, Be- uh, Beastie Boys. Like I would classic have, reference. Not having a <laughs> not having a range or having a range is fine. Everybody should have some kind of range, but he. Um, he has such a personality when he's he's being accessible and when he's being like sort of just like I'm going to give this to you exactly how I feel it and there's points in points in, in certain songs including uh narcolepsy where I feel like he forgets that he has a range yeah, so you're talking specifically about the part like where he's like still I say that like he does the shouty a little bit too much it's the, sh- the, the shouty I can have, I have some forgiveness for because I'm like, okay, I, it's kind of fun to hear people scream. Um, it's more when he's doing the quiet, I'm going to try and hit some notes within this, you know, let's strip down the orchestra. Oh, huh. Let's strip down the orchestra and I'm have a f- quiet moment where I'm going to try and hit all these notes. And I'm like, you can't actually hit all those notes. That's not who you are. You're not a Whitney Houston. Like, don't, don't try. See, I, don't, I, I feel like he's not stretching out of his vocal range that much. But again, I, I, I completely recognize that everything I say from stuff like that is just based on, oh, that's what he's out. That's what the song I've listened to a thousand times sounds like. So um, I'm not going to be a good objective judge. He seems like he's on the verge of tears in some of the songs. And I kind of, I liked the kind of like slower, almost voice cracking things as like a, stylistic choice but i i guess i never even considered that that wasn't and he just wasn't hitting notes uh, it's it's only really on a few songs where things slow down and it is not on narcolepsy narcolepsy especially when it picks up is a really fun rock song like i said i'm a sucker for these 90 guitar 90s guitars and yeah. uh as soon as there's later tracks where i'm i'm more like hey you knew on how's it going to be exactly where oh, range was okay. on on the lower registers, or I guess like on the sl- the slower uh, songs. You knew exactly where your vocal range was going to be, and then in this one, you're like, "Did you really need to tell the bassist to stop playing so you could like get a little funky?" <laughs> yeah, we will save those. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to spoil, but those are how's it going to be is not a song I enjoy. But anyway. Um, how's it going to be definitely shows off the strain of it but i think how's it going to be at least he acts within his his range it's just so long too anyway i'll we'll talk about that <laughs> yeah, in just a second. there's a few songs uh, that would be totally forgivable at two minutes but at four or like mamma mia <laughs> mamma mia yes so semi charm life i don't know if much more needs to be said about it. like i we both said we really like the song i was always bummed after i got the album that uh there's a whole part that gets cut in the radio edit it's the part where he like comes down from the meth high, right? No, it's the where it speeds up for a sec. And when the play came in, she said she was crossing. The velvet rips in the sea, which is all the earth to feel alive. And now I'm struggling to survive those days you were wearing that velvet dress. You're the priest, and I must confess those little red 
on the belly, face down on the mattress, one. And you hold me, and we are broken. Still, it's all it I want to do, just a little now. Feel myself heavy as the ground. I'm scared, I'm not coming down. No, no. And I won't run for my life. She's got the toss now, locked down in a smile, but nothing is alright. Alright. It's also the part that has the. I think they probably cut it because of the those little red panties they pass the test slide up around the belly face down on the mattress line. Mm, probably. Uh, probably wasn't, wasn't on the radio. But I really like that part because it, it's already a fast song, but then it gets faster and louder before getting slower. That's a weird that's a weird thing too, where I had this um song taped off of um the radio. So I heard the radio edit a hundred times. Didn't know there was another minute of song. So there's still a weird part of me that when that part kicks in, I get excited. Like, like it's it like is a, a pa- scene. It's, it's like a Pavlovian response because that was my favorite part of the song. Once I got the album, realized there was more of the song. So now, even now, listen to it. I'm like, oh, yeah, the good part. I'm getting to listen to it. It's a pretty good song. Uh, it is one of those songs that it, like i was just referencing it's a song that's sort of relating uh meth addiction to a relationship gone bad and it's talking about there's sort of a golden period like a honeymoon period at the beginning and then as time goes on it's about how there's a dependence and it makes things yeah. ugly and um i, I think it's I, also possible that it's not even a metaphor that he just had a relationship and they were doing crystal meth yeah that's the <laughs> other thing is that like it might be exactly literal like yeah there's a there's an everclear song that is about uh the lead singer and a girl that he loved how much she reminded him of heroin but also she was addicted to heroin in a literal level this was a thing that a lot of 90s stars did. I'm sure there's a Nirvana song that's similarly, like, when you break down, it's embarrassing. Um, yeah. Drugs but, are like relationships. Yeah, tough to quit. In general, um, in general comparing it. a woman or a partner to a drug, kind of gross. I, I do think that these songs are much less metaphoric. That they are just like, yeah, no, we did a lot of drugs, and that... But we still tried to have a relationship within the confines of being addicts. Like, when you think of, like, God of god of wine um it's so fun like i didn't even recognize as a kid that like when he's singing can we get clean again i'm like clean from all the dirty sex there something something like that we're like now listening i'm like oh they mean like sober yeah yeah yeah, he means sober this song can we be sober and have a relationship are probably both songs more semi-charmed life i guess they're songs that i bet that i i bet you uh hundred hundred million moms listened to and didn't get what was going on um oh semi-charmed life i actually had a my mom didn't but i remember being in a friend's house nathan remick and we were listening to it and she's like can i see the lyrics to this song like because it is a filthy song it is absolutely filthy. It's filthy, but it's it sounds more chipper than it is. Yeah. I've talked about this before with my mom, who's actually pretty hip and has a good sense of music, a good taste in music, and she's like, Yeah, I, I I really liked that song and then one day I actually listened to it and I was like I was like, Oh, it's about sex. So I was like, Oh, that's kinda it's kinda fun. They got a sex song in the radio and then she's like, I was listening to it more and I was like, No, this is definitely about drugs. I don't know which drug, but it's about one of them. <laughs> that's cause in the radio edit they they say doing 
they start editing crystal meth like halfway through its radio like it didn't start at editing out and then they're like can't say crystal meth i guess no one knew no one had tried it was a new frontier anyways uh number four jumper i wish you would step back from that ledge my friend i fucking hated this song on the album it was one of the few songs they skipped over um it is a joke in some movie i'm forgetting um it is for a reason it's where the earnestness gets very embarrassing every goddamn 90s song needed some sort of like message song where they were saving the day like don't do drugs don't commit suicide and while sure their heart was in the right place it feels inauthentic compared to everything else that they're doing it doesn't it, it it's such a bad song i never liked it i couldn't believe i had this album before this became a radio hit so, like, I'm listening to this album and falling in love. Like, what could be the next thing they put on the radio? What could be the next single? And it was like, fucking Jumper? Yeah. Uh, okay, so. It's my least favorite song. Here's what I'll say. Jumper definitely stopped people from killing themselves. <laughs> I don't mean all people, but I mean some people. But even though the lyrics are very confusing, I wish you could step back from that ledge, my friend. You could cut ties with all the lies that you've been living in. And if you don't want to see me again, I understand. It's like, what did you do, Stephen Jenkins? Yeah, Stephen Jenkins. Did you? Is did he you, on the ledge because of you? Yeah. Um, did you dare him to get on that ledge? Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I said, Jumper stopped all suicides. So really, it's hard to say whether or not it's a good or a bad song. Um, uh, graduate. song that is definitely definitely was co-opted by high school kids thinking that they're like man it's gonna be fucking great to graduate and ignored all the shit they references being a gigolo and living on the street i don't even think i i think i'm learning that for the first time yeah <laughs> there's a graduate is another song sort of like everclear songs where you're like if you just listen to the refrain you probably get the exact opposite idea of what this song is yeah, and I guess I never, like, the lyrics just felt like, th- this song had no connection to me as a kid. Uh, it's a song I like, oh, when you're looking to the album, that's a kind of a fun one. I think it's I think it's a song that's about how when you, um, you're living in a position that is below your dignity, uh, and you're just dreaming of when you get to break through that glass ceiling, you get to break through yeah. that, 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 that whatever wall is blocking. Can, can you get your punk ass off the street? Yeah. That's uh, I'm not waiting for you for you. Like it's funny that I could probably recite the lyrics from beginning to end and like I've never pieced it together like what it's saying. Yeah. Just a bunch of stuff. It, it's a song to me that's just a bunch of things that are said. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, there's words in there and some of those words probably resonated with some 16-year-olds, but uh like like Jumper, I I'm like, you know, maybe this helped some kid that was on his wayward journey back to 
back to sobriety, back to his parents, back to, you know, just yeah. not wanting I, to kill themselves. Maybe. So, like, the, the heart is in the right place really helps me as, like, somebody. Every year I get older, the more I'm, like, I, the, yeah. the more I'm, like, okay, yes, this is embarrassing to listen to. But did this song help somebody? Probably. Yeah, I, uh. I don't know, like, I guess it just, I could picture this playing in the background. Like, it's got some sweet, it's got some sweet 90s guitar licks. It's kind of fun. If you were at a concert in 1997, you'd probably, this is one of the songs you jump up and down at, you know. But not a jumper. Do not jump for jumper. No. Do not. Everyone should sit on the floor and cut ties with all the lies that you've been living in. I really can't Ideally. cut ties with a lot of those lies. I feel like they're pretty convenient for me in my current state in life. But I can cut ties. I'll cut ties with some of the lies. Mm, sorry, no deal. Step off the ledge, please. Mm. <laughs> oh, mama mia! Uh, all right, how's it gonna be? I wonder how it's gonna be when you don't know me. How's it gonna be when you're so? This was the most played song on the radio I heard from this album when I was Probably. a kid. So I like it's just started to be a radio hit. I remember when I bought the album and I grew sick of it very quick when I was listening. So I listened to this three times over the last week. I listened to Jumper and How's It Gonna Be all the way through the first time and then I skipped it the next. Those two songs I skipped the next two times. I just this is where the earnestness takes a too much of a dip into it's too, it's too slow and too quiet, and it doesn't have enough interesting. It doesn't have enough stuff going on interestingly musically enough for me, where it's almost forcing me to grapple with how inane some of the lyrics are, even at a younger age. Yeah, it's uh, not a very good song. It's uh, it's not even that catchy. I'm not really sure why this was a a radio hit, well, other than I was so perplexed by this album, like the two other hits. I'm like. There's so many good – 15, I'm like, there's so many good things on this album. You pick Jumper and How's It Gonna Be? Yeah. Well, How's It Gonna Be is also just like – it's one of those songs that's like very empty to me. Yeah. Because it, it's it's begging How, question. How's it going to be when it goes down? Like it's so unspecific. It, it, it's, and it's like I guess it's maybe referencing – How's it going to be when like, you're not what, around? What, is, what are they going to be after their relationship or whatever? And, and it's Yeah. Just, it's just vague enough that you can probably project your own insecurities and your own memories of a failing relationship on it. But it's it's not specific enough that I'd be like this guy understands me, so I really don't. Well, get and it. and that's that's probably why I like Jumper and How's It Gonna Be didn't really connect for me because those two songs feel like songs, right? They feel like he's like I'm gonna write a song about a relationship, and most of the album feels as I've said a couple times like journal entries, like a story that he lived in. With even if it's not an experience you relate to, it feels like Stephen Jenkins is talking about some stuff with a level of specificity. How's it going to be when it goes down? How's it going to be when you're not around? Because I don't care. How's it going to be? That feels like more of a song. And all the, all the lyrics, the verses are like that too. Like, I'm almost pretty sure I can't take anymore before you take a swing. I wonder, how's it going to be? <laughs> like, it feels like a generic song in a way that. Say what you will about the album as a whole, almost all the other songs don't feel like. 
Yeah, yeah. It's it's a non-hit. It, it's it's something that like is destined for it was destined to be a middle of the album sort of like uh, it's like a slow pleasant song that it's not bad enough for me to skip. Um yeah. but it also that's that's the thing I mentioned on it. It's him playing right in his range. So it's not really like it's not him showing off or doing anything in particular. There's no good licks or anything in it. So like I really just don't know why it's it, it that was pushed as a single and they already have the earnest single which is jumper jumper well how's it gonna be came out first why but like why would you do jumper then after that like why would you do either of them there's better songs yeah i think Um, it's also the song the album isn't very good at the slow sort of earnest song very often well we're gonna get into that very soon okay so uh thanks a lot is actually a song i don't i feel like thanks a lot no song number seven and good for you Song number nine are A, the same song, and <laughs> like and B, like, they are exactly what you'd expect to find and what – and like, oh, this is a fine track seven and track nine. It's just a clip of Christian Bale freaking out on the set of Terminator 4. And he goes, oh, good for you. Was it? Oh, good for you. But they're, they're, they're almost like they do feel like the same song. They have the same number of syllables, the same structure. The message is the same. Like I don't remember anything about either of these yeah. songs, too. They're, they're both like ending kiss offs to a relationship, but not in a fuck you way, but just like a. Well, thanks a lot for that relationship. I'm left with nothing. Or, hey, I'm left with nothing. Was the relationship good for you? They are painfully generic. I, I do agree with you. Like, you get rid of Jumper. How's it going to be? Thanks a lot. And uh, good for you. And you have a much better album. Yeah, I think you can cut this thing down to 35 minutes. And it would be a killer, like, late 90s, uh, you know, yeah. rock album. Uh, Burning Man. like the song i still kind of like it it's just kind of a fun jangly with a couple of like big uh all of a sudden like guitar hard hard guitar strums with kind of a fun soaring chorus that now sounds like he's a bernie sanders supporter (laughs) 
but it's Burning Man, but it definitely sounds like he's singing, uh, I've lived my life like a Bernie man. I've lived it life like a Bernie man. So why do you think of Burning Man? It's a, it's a rock song. It's, yeah, it's, it's two and a half minutes. It's using a metaphor that's like a little bit metal and a little bit edgy to talk about how he's, he's sort of like a carpe diem message. He's going to live his life like he's a burning man, yada, yada. Uh, that that's uh, that makes it at least on a lyrics level like less offensive because it, it fits right in with normal rock and roll songs. Um, and it's not like London, which gravely bothered me. OK, so let's let's talk about London. It's them trying to do the sort of it's them trying to do this like British like riff on and I know the one guy, whatever Corcoran or whatever, the Kevin Corcoran. I just made that name up. Uh the guy that got kicked out of the band after this album. Um he grew up in who, London. Who clearly was like like a lot of those bands that kick out a member after a big hit album, and you're like, they're never quite hit those highs in your opinion. Uh like their second album I liked a few of the songs on even in 1999 but it was nothing like this and then like years later like oh did they kick out the guy like cake was a good example when they kicked out the guy that wrote the distance like you don't kick out the guy that wrote the distance yeah it's your best song <laughs> yeah and it's like even if the, the the singer is still there the uh the, the, yeah. the heart and the soul of it aren't necessarily there behind the singer and this is or the collabos the collabos i know that that guy whatever his name is kevin corrigan or whatever he grew up in london or whatever why does it sound so fake and they throw in words like we were in our ma- like <laughs> our friend's flat in london like and it sounds so like forced and and fake it's clearly riffing off of them really liking like British rock music and punk music, huh. but not having that th- the sensibility behind it, and them trying to make like sort of tougher British rock music uh, is just kind of embarrassing. So interesting. Are they so riffing off I, like? Are they riffing off like t- more like Oasis style? Like stuff? oh no, I don't. I don't think it's supposed to be Oasis. Not at the all. soft Oasis stuff, but like fucking in the bushes no, style stuff. I I don't think so. I definitely think they're trying to do like a punkier like. In my head, the version of this was like a night that had descended into chaos of like, why am I even here? Who are these people? So and I, I felt like the music matched um, and I liked it. Like it is the fastest like song on the album. And um, which definitely you know, is li- pointing at like, uh, you know, a Ramon style or like a, a Sex pistol style. A little, like, a little punkier. And, and, like and I hadn't. Long. Yeah. And I hadn't really discovered the much punk music so it felt like oh yeah the cool this song's you know this song's really fast and and fun it's uh so i still have those feelings for it the um the refrain and some of the forced edginess is a little more eye-rolling to me now but like i i really liked it as a kid yeah but again it's it's that thing of like i hadn't heard songs that sounded like that so 
That sounded awesome to me. It didn't sound like a shitty imitation to you. No. It sounded like they were like, they can oh, do Oh, cool. Anything. They're really, yeah, yeah. They're, they can do the slow stuff. And here's a really like, uh, sounds like it could be played at a mosh pit. Yeah. Um, you know, I, so. I, I, I don't know. It's, uh. It's not the worst thing ever, but it is something that, like, when I was listening to it, I was like, wait, this isn't what I came here for. Uh, yeah. Because especially the refrain is like, I want to get my hands on them. It's, that part was even eye-rolling to me now, even, like, enjoying the musical part of it. So, uh, number, track number 11, I Want You. And I can't get- This begins the my favorite four song run on the album when I was fifteen that I would just I would listen to I want you to gotta wine over and over. This is really what I was talking about um, when I was talking about like what this album felt like to me earlier um, as like the my future hypothetical breakup album. So what did you? I, I want you is definitely a change of pace and felt a little like jazzier and triple trippier i don't know yeah i didn't like the jazzier sort of like let's get funky vibe to it that felt like it was they were trying to be cool sort of like london and it just made it like really unsexy to me like interesting so i always used to think this song was like one of the probably before i would have described a song as sexy this this felt really sexy and then still had that kind of like dark adult thing uh with kind of the references to uh vampirism and it also didn't hurt that like my image of this song um steven jenkins looks a lot like steven dorf in blade <laughs> so like the idea of steven dorf and blade singing this song about vampires coming to kill us but in the meantime i i want to have sex with you kind of fits with steven dorf's character in blade and steven dorf's character in blade was also some sort of weird that is the best looking man. I hope I look like that to women someday. Uh, so um, those two things probably combined a little and it was like, oh, this song is sexy as shit. Uh, so, yeah, I really liked it, but uh, yeah, less it, impactful it, it, it now. It didn't feel me. it didn't feel sexy to me, though. You know, clearly this song definitely got Stephen Jenkins laid. So I guess objectively it is sexy. Well, he was in a like of what a six year relationship with Charlie Theron. So. Can't do better than that. Can't do better than that. That's a weird thing to say. I don't want to say can't do better than that. <laughs> um, <laughs> ah, pretty good for him. He did like, good. I don't know. Um, yeah, he, he, she's, she seems lovely. Yeah, he, uh, but, so objectively, it is sexy in that it got him laid, definitely. On the other half of it, it's dorky in a way that it, uh, just, especially in a modern context, I'm like, Please don't try and get funky. We came here for your your dorky earnestness and speaking to the, speaking to the teens. Yeah, this is definitely a, a a cool song. So if you are not wrapped up in his coolness, like I imagined in uh, nineteen ninety seven, I could definitely see you going. Oh, okay, I get it. You want me? Thanks, Steve. Uh, so that leads us to the background.
like though. This this little stretch is is a good stretch for just like sort of traditional rock music. Um, I have I have some problems with All Right Caroline, but other than that, what is All Right Caroline? It's uh, After God of Wine. Okay, so not. I think you listen to a bonus tracks version. I mean, I so the one on Spotify was like the twentieth anniversary, but the album stopped at God of Wine. Oh, I goofed. All right, so we'll just do the the actual album. Um, ignore <laughs> me. Uh, I think so I, nice it's good story. to know. All right, Caroline's not very good though, because I've never heard it. <laughs> it's it's, a, it's an okay song, but it shows okay. off his distinct lack of range, and they smartly cut okay. it from the album. All right, um, but uh, <laughs> the background and motorcycle drive by are both like pretty pretty cool funky rock songs that like they they capture that that sort of like '90s hangout uh, chill that I'm into that. It's a good hanging out album, generally. See, I, it's interesting you describe it as hangout because they're both very, as you can imagine, oh, when I was talking about breakup stuff. Hang out and do math. Well, but they're both like breakup songs, very pointedly. Like the background is like, I do the things we did before, but you're not around anymore. Like, like the plans I made still have you in them. Uh, I'm just kind of still living my life, and I don't know how to get out of the background and into the foreground. Um, they're not like I want you back songs. Motorcycle drive by. This is a view on a motorcycle drive by. The cigarette ash flies in your eyes, and you don't mind. You smile and say the world it doesn't fit with you. I don't believe you. You're so serene, careening through the universe. Your axis on until you're guiltless and free. I hope you take a piece of me with you. was my favorite song of the album in in 1997 i listened to it over and over that's another breakup song like it is the the when you told me we'd never be friends again like i i understood you're right this is the end of our relationship like this is the last time we'll be friends again when i get over you you'll wonder who i like that's the kind of stuff that now seems like a little bit like slow down there person but to a 14 year old it was like oh a breakup so bad that like you change as a person. I wonder if that's going to happen to me. And and in a way, that is what a lot of breakups end up doing. Sometimes you change for the better, sometimes you change for the worse. But like they they don't feel like hang- they're and they're both very slow and quiet at the beginning, and they get progressively louder and faster as it kind of reaches a emotional epiphany of some sort. Um before like quieting back down into, yeah, but I'm still in this kind of depression. These were two of my favorite songs, like Motorcycle Drive-By, I probably would have said at one point was one of my top favorite songs of all time. That one point, again, being junior high. That That's what I think of that. <laughs> no, that's a that's a beautiful bit of, uh, of vulnerability <laughs> because, like, I think that if we're going to talk about these albums, we have to talk about what they actually yeah. meant to you. And I didn't get that because maybe right now I'm at, 27 year old in a pretty stable relationship hopefully a very stable relationship and um also that's i think that's part of the problem of like i had time to discover these songs separately and you are listening to the album and probably a little worn out by a lot of the filler 
to this point. Or, you know, if there's two okay songs or bad songs or whatever about him uh, going through a breakup or feeling um, abandoned by a relationship or something is falling apart, and then all of a sudden there's, like, a really good one, the really good one does not seem all that interesting. Yeah. That's also a cost of making an album that is mostly hitting the same notes over and over again. Yeah. Another reason why I think this could have been a 35 minute sort of 60s style album, uh, as opposed to these like this longer opus with tons of songs in it, because like, yes, I understand to have all these different songs means that, uh, you know, Bobby might react to this version of the breakup song and then down the street tom will react to this version of the breakup song and then when you go to the concert they get to hear both versions and they both get to cheer for each of their their version i get the strategy behind it in a in a cynical sense but also in the like we want to talk to people out there we want to speak to people and we want to speak to people in slightly different ways for different people like that, that all that all clicks with me it's, yeah, it's just you're right. Listening to it in a context where I'm in a stable relationship and I'm not 16 or 13 or <laughs> it, 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 a lot of it just kind of blurs together. It's hard for me to take it seriously because I'm like, how many breakups did you have in this course of recording this album? Are you are you trying to get back 12 girls? I think, I think like, one. I don't, know what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't feel bad for you at all if you're trying to get back six girls, including three that you're still dating. Well, and Motors, I will say, from a musical standpoint, my three favorite songs, like, forget about lyrics, just, like, how much I enjoy listening to the instrumentation and the licks and the sweet riffs, um, Losing All Year, uh, Semi-Charmed Life, and and Motorcycle Drive, my, my three favorites. Like, I really, I really like the way that's how fast that song is, even when it's slow, and it just keeps feeling like it's building and building and building, and... I don't think at 14 I had ever heard a song that sounded like that. And it was even funnier listening to it now because essentially the background, Motorcycle Drive-By and God of Wine all play the same trick. Really acoustic or slow, quiet starts. And then louder and louder and louder and louder. And then quiet at the end. To the point that I feel like it wasn't just me. Other people I knew that had this album would talk about Motorcycle Drive-By. They're like, oh, but that, that, have you heard Motorcycle Drive-By? Like that is a really good song. And that's kind of awesome that you got to connect with with people on that same level, because uh, for me, who was too young for this album, I would have just all sounded probably the same. Um, And uh, it's also an argument for why art is art needs to be subjective, because art needs to be specific enough to speak to different people in a deeper way, because if art is too generic, it doesn't speak to uh anyone in any deeper way i will say one thing the smash mouth uh self-titled album that we listened to last time it wasn't oh you're forgetting it wasn't self-titled it was racist titled oh yeah uh yeah uh the racist smash mouth album that i will not be saying again um actually had like a lot of diversity in it not in terms of messaging, but in terms of song styles and different different tones that they were going for. Yeah, some were some were bad, bad, and some were good, bad. <laughs> yes, but it, it 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 didn't reach high highs and low lows, but it did reach like low low lows and low lows because it, it, there was such a divergence in styles that like 
when they really, really went outside the wheelhouse, you're like, holy shit, this is a marvel. Like, how did you, how did you miscalculate so badly what you were good at? Uh, <laughs> yeah. But with Third Eye Blind, they never really get too embarrassing on what they're they're out of their, their wheelhouse. Like, it, no, I think Jumper is like the only song I would call embarrassing. I think in I some think, way, I think London's a little embarrassing, but not even London. Yeah, I'd say not yeah, even that Lond- much. Not not, yeah. not that not that much. It was just them emulating some people they liked, which also sort of fits in the dorkingly dorkingly earnest uh, category. But yeah, I don't know. Well, so, and I. Go ahead. But yeah, Aaron, this is a this has been a surprisingly fun album to listen to and talk about. But I will say that there is a sort of um, there's a, a thing that, that happens when I listen to it where I was like, because they don't reach outside their wheelhouse very often. Yeah, there's no songs where I was like, holy shit, that is so specific. Well, and I think that's hard to do too. I'm not saying that if you listen to it ten more times, you would appreciate certain songs more but i understand that like i even at 14 like listened to it through and it there were songs like the background and god of wine and motorcycle drive by that didn't catch me until probably the fifth time i heard it because semi-charmed life or graduate uh, or london for that matter was so like overpowering and it's like that's the song I want to listen to. And then like as those songs settled for me and I, I find that happens with albums now. Like you end up like you the the radio hit or the single gets stuck in your head and you listen to that over and over. And then as you start appreciate like as the album levels off and you're listening to it in its entirety, like certain songs that didn't stand out initially um, start to stand out more. So, you know, not that you would listen to this album over and over. I could see that happening, but that is always the problem with music. Some things don't resonate the first time you hear it, and sometimes stuff will never resonate, and stuff you would have never guessed would be your favorite song becomes your favorite song. Yeah, I couldn't think of a better capper on it than that. I am happy that you made me listen to it because it gave me more of a... When you said Third Eye Blind, I was like, that is that is going to be something. <laughs> um, because I think I was thinking of like, creed and other bands of that oh era, yeah and like how embarrassing they were this is just kind of like an alt rock band from the 90s and they did start with humble roots that yeah these, it wasn't the band that i thought they were and uh it was it was a fun experience to go down this lane with you and if you step away from this podcast my friend i would understand <laughs> well yeah but don't talk to me again Oh, okay. Ideally, yeah. Um, you know, it's funny though. As part of this, after like the third time I listened to it, I went and listened to some songs off of their 1999 album uh, "Blue," which was their follow-up. There was about a handful of songs on that album I liked, and I was very disappointed coming off uh, this album, which is not too weird for sophomore albums in general, let alone if you're a huge fan of the first one. Um, but one thing I really noticed is I kind of was able to articulate for me like, oh, I, I really like the journal entries and the lived in quality. And even though I wouldn't have described it like that at 14, seeing myself in that past rearview mirror, it's like, oh, it's easy to tell that that was something that connected to me. Like the songs were different than the songs I was listening to from a, the way he's writing them. And listening to some songs from Blue, even the songs that I liked, I was like, oh, these are so- like these are much more recognizable. Like, I am writing a song like Jumper, how it's going to be. And it had less of that journal quality. And then what was interesting is that I went and listened to 
a few songs off of Out of the Vein, which is their 2003 album that kind of ended the platinum success, um, which I had never heard before because uh, I was pretty off the Third Eye Blind train and by 2003 or definitely not interested in listening to new songs by then and it kind of returned back to the journal entry quality and i listened to a couple songs and found them kind of catchy so there is a possibility that i myself through this may dare and check out a couple of their other later albums if they kind of went back to that style of maybe overly earnest but in a in a fun riffy 90s alt rock way that like uh that that still is enjoyable or at least interesting from uh circling back on a on a band's offerings you skipped but of course peter it's impossible for you to feel this album as hard as a 14 year old did so i'm glad it wasn't no i know it sounds very intense and, and traumatizing uh yeah so, I mean, that's, that is, I think, as we go through more albums of our past and, like, music just connects differently, I think, than a lot of other art, it is going to ha- be hard to be like, oh, you don't understand. Like, this is this is what I felt at 14. So, there's no – it's literally impossible for you to like the album as much as I did at that age. Um, it's literally impossible for me to like any album that much. Oh, no. <laughs> you know? Like it's just impossible. It's like it's like seeing your first favorite movie or your first few favorite movies. You're like, I'm gonna like movies, but I'm never gonna like a movie as much as I liked Jurassic Park when I was ten years old. Yeah. It's impossible. It's it's a deep enriching experience, not only because your pool of experience is so shallow, but also because yeah. like it is hitting you at a time when your hormones are going fucking buck wild and tearing you apart. A burn on this album before I listen to it. And then I didn't get to use the burn because I kind of liked the album. Uh, Third Eye Blind. I I wish it was One Mouth Mute. (laughs) Yeah, I kind of like the album, so I can't really use it. Uh, Well, just one mouth. There's there's four members of the band, I think. So there's still three mouths unmuted. Hmm. The drummer doesn't need to sing. Yeah. Uh, You got Dare for Me. I do. But this week I'm going to do something a little different. You do something different every week, and I just keep editing it out, so you just give me the tear. Do you want another comic <laughs> book or an okay. album? Uh, I kind of want an album. Okay. The album is the collaboration album between Damien Gerardo. Wait, hold on. Does it stop and then collaborate? Because that's my ideal form of collaboration. Uh, do they listen? Do I listen? Will you listen Stop, to collaborate, the and listen? They stopped collaborating when the album was done and also probably after Richard Swift died. That was like a definite, like, no more collaboration. Um, but Damien Gerardo and Richard Swift collaborated in an album. Two of my favorite singer-songwriters of the past decade uh, collaborated in an album called Other People's Songs. And it is a, them, it's a cover album of them covering other people's songs. And it's textured and beautiful and it's an album that has meant probably meant a lot more to me uh in the past couple years so this isn't erasures album erasures there's a there's an erasure album called other people's song i'm sure other i'm I'm sure other people have stolen that as uh oh here we go damien drado and richard swift it should be on spotify i've listened to it there like a thousand times so this is gonna be dumb, but I'm terrible at names in general. What bands are these two people a part of? Uh, they're both singer songwriters under their own name. 
Huh. Um, so this is I, amazing. So I've never heard of. I feel like I've heard of Richard Swift. They're um, both. They're both really great. And I okay. think that you, uh, I, I Richard Swift died recently. Um, maybe that's why. I've, maybe that's why I've heard of him. He's a. Uh, he was a hero. Uh, he did a lot of uh, really awesome music. Damien Gerardo still alive, still putting out great albums. Um, if you like this a lot, that means that you have easy access to a lot of albums that sound similar to this one so this is one that touched me in a way that i don't think any album has in the past five ten years so i really wanted to get something contemporary that means something to me right now and i can speak it's funny to... we we did ska ska and now we're doing like emotionally touched yes emotionally touched yes um a little tit for tat no this is crazy because um and i i think that's what i was getting to why i think music is very interesting when we do it on the show or has been so far, because, like, I've never heard of these two. And we have very similar tastes in a lot of things. There's no movie I could say to you, Peter, that you'd be like, I've never heard of that. Because <laughs> Music's fun like that, though. Yeah, it is. Very much so. So, I'm very excited. Richard Swift's best album he made in his fucking, like, kitchen in his basement for, you know, I don't know, a few thousand dollars, a few hundred dollars. So, like, he, uh... So, he's a big Guided by Voices fan? <laughs> <laughs> he, he, the by point is that, like... People can make this stuff without anybody realizing they're spending money on it. And like, yeah, I'm very excited to check this out. So uh, we will see you next time on Don't You Dare. Don't you dare. Don't you dare.